This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is Chris Sabo, number 98T. Chris Sabo, third baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. Fantastic. Another card from the traded set, and we will get to Chris Sabo in just a moment. But first, we do have some follow-up from previous episodes. I got a message from a friend of the show, Mark Simon, and he informed me that I that I misspoke a couple times on the Jack Lazorko episode. I just can't talk, right? <laughs> I believe I referenced Stan Let's get it right. Kovaleski, Stan Kovaleski, famous, I believe, spitball pitcher mm. who holds the record for the most assists by a pitcher in a game. Sorry to the Kovaleski family. I'm sure there's some Kovaleskis here in Chicago. Ba- Sorry, Stan be, Kovaleski. Yeah. I also said Farley Dickinson, not <laughs> Fairly Dickinson. Fairly Dickinson. I don't know how I missed that the first time. Uh, it's my fault in the editing. So thank you, Mark, for keeping us honest. But also, David, we've been getting some questions here about uh, our recording schedule. And also with the playoffs coming up, the news was that there was a uh, roster expansion. Yeah, Matt, it's been a big, big couple of weeks here at the, the 1988 Tops podcast. We took a few weeks off. Uh, thank you to the 1988 Tops uh, management team for granting uh, parental leave. Thank you to folks who reached out uh, with kind words. The baby Lou is doing well and has already seen a White Sox division win. All White Sox baseball is probably going to be disappointing to her for the next <laughs> uh, 35 or so years. But, you know, already one month in, she's already watched a White Sox division win. Also a big week. I interacted with Rance Mullinix on Facebook. Oh, big yeah. few weeks. All you know, all big stuff. All equally big stuff. Rance Mullinix uh, commented on a post about Jack Lazorko. So big couple weeks here. That is of of all the cards in the set for us to get a Rance Mullinix comment. Wouldn't have expected it to be Jack Lazorko. We're back now. We're getting ready for the playoffs. We're getting back ready to resume uh, our normal weekly schedule. And we're very excited about this week's uh, show with Chris Sabo because Chris Sabo was a request from a listener. Yes, thank you to listener, pastor, card creator, Tim Briggs, at Tim Briggs here. This is like two of the last three episodes have been Tim Briggs suggestions. Uh, That was not planned. I think that I started the research on Chris Sabo and then decided I wanted to talk about Benito Santiago instead. And then when I went back to it, I realized, oh, this was also Tim's suggestion. So, uh, Tim, I hope you're happy. <laughs> well, Tim has earned it as a great friend of the show and in in all of his support uh, through the run of the show. Uh, I'm also just excited because this is a fantastic card. Yes. And Tim's suggestion of Chris Sabo, he, he just said, nothing says 80s baseball cards like Chris Sabo. And this was a big card for me in 1989. 1989 tops, of course, 
Chris Sabo was an all-star rookie. He was coming off his rookie of the year season in 1988. So if you went to a card show in 1989, you would see this one as his first tops card. And this was the tops traded 1988 card, which, you know, for those of us who had the 89 tops Sabo card, to get this earlier one would, was a big deal. And it seemed like, of course, this guy, rookie of the year, he's going to be an all time great. And let's hope this is an all time great episode. <laughs> I am sure it will be. So let's go to the front of 98T. And this is a good swing. We've got Chris Sabo has just finished a pretty good hack. Looks like he's put one on the right side, trying to shoot it through the hole on the right side of the infield. We've got the gray Reds uniform with the red belt, red stripes, red helmet, and of course, the trademark goggles. (laughs) Sabo wearing his Rex Specs. Matt, these were huge in the 80s. We've only talked about, I think, one player who had glasses thus far, and that was Tom Hankey. Mm, yes. As a glasses-wearing individual. so The, the first Terminator. Bes- yes, the bespectacled player in the 1988 Topps podcast set. So we have here. So I was looking into the history of bespectacled players. And the first glasses-wearing ball player was named Will White. He was a brother of Deacon White. He, he also played for the Reds, but in the 1870s and 80s. And like Chris Sabo, is a Reds Hall of Famer. He was the master of the curveball in early baseball, so much so that he was used in a demonstration to prove that the ball, in fact, curved. And I included a link to this diagram. They stood Will White next to a piece of fence so that his arm couldn't extend to throw around. They wanted him to throw a ball straight past a post to one side or the other and then end up on the side of a parallel fence on the other side of the the field. And he did it. And there's this kind of parabola he showed that he could throw a ball. It moved maybe a half a foot to the right of the post in the middle and then ended up to the left of the fence on the other side of the field. So a pretty amazing early baseball name. He also had a great nickname that came from a Cincinnati newspaper headline, Whoopla William. <laughs> so, of course, I saw the name Whoopla William White, and I had to drop some information about William in here. He, in 1878, went 30-21 and 21 with an ERA under 2, and he had three other seasons with over 40 wins. And in Whoa. 1879, he had 75 complete games. Oh, man. And he wore glasses. After his baseball career, he became an optician. So I, I thought that that was a fun a fun fact there. And he, he passed away, sadly, in 1911. Mm. R.I.P. Whoopla William. Whoopla William. But Rex Specs, he did not invent Rex Specs. If he had, maybe he could have, who knows what he could have done in 1878 if he had had these sporty goggles. These were introduced in the 70s and by the 1980s were worn by all of the coolest dudes in sports. Yes. Your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Eric Dickerson, Kurt Rambis, all the cool guys. Mm-hmm. And Chris Sabo was one of the the biggest names in in rec specs by the late 80s. I do remember this as being part of his signature look. And he looked kind of cool. Maybe the rec specs look cooler on Horace Grant. 
than they did on on Chris Sabo. Yeah. So around <laughs> this time, David, I did not have Rex specs, but I had glasses and I wore a crokey on the back of them. So they were not they weren't special glasses that were, you know, more resistant to being banged around or anything like that. But they were just, uh, it was just a strap on the back to keep them from falling off my face. Did you pair that look with a with a high top, flat top, like mm. Chris Sabo did? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I very much had a uh, giant beehive of hair. <laughs> well, this, uh, this look with the Rex specs and the flat top haircut that Chris Sabo wore earned him the nickname Spuds from pete rose who said that he looked like spuds mckenzie the budweiser spokes dog and spuds mckenzie was advertised as the quote original party animal mm. and the dog was said to have increased bud light sales 20 percent in 1987 and 88 the dog was in, in fact portrayed by a female dog whose name was honey tree evil eye which is a fantastic name honey tree evil eye probably also the name of an 1870s baseball player <laughs> Uh, Strom Thurmond went after Spuds McKenzie for promoting alcohol to children. And, you know, if Strom Thurmond thinks that something is wrong, then it probably has some merit. Uh, needless to say, this the look and Pete Rose's nickname helped to elevate Chris Sabo in, in the sports world, along with uh, his performance as a rookie kind of bursting on the scene right around the time of this, of this Topps traded card. Yeah, those things definitely came together to give an instant personality and an instant narrative for Chris Sabo as a young up-and-coming player. So a great look on the front of the card, great look with the Rex specs. Now going to the back of the card, Chris Sabo, 6 feet, 185, right-handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Reds in the second round of 1983, born January 19, 1962 in Detroit, Michigan, with a home in Buchanan, Michigan. When I hear Detroit, Michigan, I always think of the Albert King song going to Detroit, Michigan. So we'll we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. And while Albert King was getting a job on the Cadillac assembly line in Detroit, Michigan, Chris Sabo's dad, Walter, was a plumber for the city's water treatment facility, and his mom was a waitress. This working class background, Chris said, they taught me if you're going to do something, it doesn't do nobody any good to go halfway. And that background and that kind of working class attitude that Chris Sabo espoused and that Pete Rose saw in Sabo something that was similar to him and that hustle and grit also helped endear him to young people and he was always a favorite of mine as a kid too and and I think that part of his his background led to that style of play that he became known for he went to Detroit Central Catholic High School Alums of that high school include uh, soccer player Josh Gatt, currently playing for Pittsburgh in USL, but formerly playing in, what, Norway? Maybe made a couple appearances for the U.S. men's national team. And Frank Tanana, who was also included in the 88 top set. Sabo was really good for Detroit Central, good enough to be drafted by the Expos out of high school, but he didn't sign. Yeah, David, an all-around high school athlete, Excellent golfer, winning the Detroit Junior Championship. And if we go to the fun fact on the card, Chris once dreamed of playing NHL hockey, was a teammate of Rangers' John Van Beesbrook as a youngster. He played on two U-17 National Hockey Championship winning teams. So really had, had his choice of sports that he might want to pursue growing up. 
This is a good fun fact. These Topps traded cards have had some good fun facts. Interestingly, Sabo also played goalie. So Van Beesbrook went on to play goalie. Uh, so he, they had two great goalies on that team. He was good enough to be to consider a pro career in hockey. He played a game for the Niagara Falls Flyers in the Ontario Hockey League. Yet again, we have hockey goalies turning into infielders in baseball. And I don't know if we mentioned this during the Jack Lazorko show. U.S. Men's National Team goalie Matt Turner, when asked about how he became such a great goalie, he admitted he didn't play soccer as a kid at all and said he played infield and baseball and credited baseball reflex training in the infield for what turned him into such a great goalie. And while Sabo was a very good goalie, you can see it on the field. You can see good glove work on the field. He chose baseball because the University of Michigan offered him a scholarship. In 1981, he was the baseball team's most improved player, and he made the All-Big Ten Tournament. In 1983, he was joined by future Reds teammate Barry Larkin at the University of Michigan, and Sabo had a great season, hitting 16 home runs, which is still sixth in a single season in Michigan history, and the team made the 1983 College World Series. And a big World Series for the University of Michigan, they end up finishing third. Sabo ends up being named first team All-American. And as we go to the this way to the clubhouse, it leads to him getting drafted. Christ was signed as a second round draft selection of the Reds, June 13th, 1983 by scout Gene Bennett. Uh, I have no Gene Bennett information. I didn't even look. Mm. Sorry. We'll leave that to, f- to future episodes. <laughs> yes. I'm sure Gene Bennett signed some other guys. Knowing that he was picked in the second round, knowing that he went on to be rookie of the year, Probably pretty smooth sailing through the minors, right? I'm sure, yeah. It took him five seasons in the minors and a bit of bad fortune to finally get uh, a chance to play Major League Baseball. He started out at A-ball, 274, 12 home runs, 15 steals. And if you look at the back of this card, it's not overly impressive. He's a solid player. He's hitting 270, maybe hitting 10 home runs, not striking out a lot. He was a decent minor league baseball player. Double A, he had a little bit of a blip, hitting 213, but bounces back in 1985 with a solid 278 average, 11 home runs in Vermont. And he again becomes teammates with Barry Larkin. Larkin would make the big leagues in 1986, even though he was a couple years behind Sabo age wise. He was clearly on the fast track where Sabo was maybe a slow and steady player. He's showing a little bit of power, good average, playing good defense. He makes it all the way up to AAA, accomplishes basically everything he needs to in the minor leagues. He hits 292 in 1987. But he's stuck behind veteran Buddy Bell in the Reds' pecking order at third base. By spring training 1988, Sabo's brought in with a chance, maybe an opportunity, to be a backup infielder. But then Buddy Bell has a knee injury in spring training, allowing Sabo to win a starting spot. Yeah, and he basically took it and ran from there. Opening day, he ends up getting a hit and makes a play to save a run, and the Reds win. The first week of the season, he ties a record with most assists by a third baseman in a nine-inning game with 11. And he ended up just keeping that starting job by playing great. So well that the Reds ended up trading Buddy Bell in June. Sabo said that he knew 
if he slipped up, Buddy Bell was a gold glove third baseman. He was a veteran. He was a guy that everybody liked on the team. And Sabo knew if I slip up, I'm a 26-year-old rookie. I can get sent back down to AAA just like that. And he kept running. And Pete Rose was the manager of the team at the time. And he liked Sabo for his grit and hustle. And he said that, that he reminded him of someone <laughs> yeah, he, he reminds me of myself, he said, but I couldn't run as fast. <laughs> and that's particularly impressive. Sabo had great speed. And in that rookie season, he stole 46 bases. It's also this hustle attitude and this work and grit that endears him to Reds fans. Yeah, Scout said of him, he looks unorthodox, but he will run through a wall for you and kill someone to score a run. And Sabo said he was not sure that he ever killed somebody, but he did break his collarbone multiple times running through catchers. And that attitude and his work ethic is endearing. During spring training one year, he took up a second job at McDonald's to make some extra money (laughs) until the team found out and they made him quit. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. You don't really need to moonlight as a baseball player. By that year, you're you're making full-time money. Particularly when you're as frugal as Chris Sabo was, he drove a 1982 Ford Escort that he bought for around $3,000. And I've seen different numbers put on this, that he drove it for well over 100,000 miles. I saw somewhere nice. that he drove it for 200,000 miles. When he made it to the pros, he said that some guys go out and spend $70,000 for a new car. For $70,000, I could get a lifetime supply of Ford Escorts. That is the truth. That economic spirit and that hustle paid off in many ways. It paid off the first half of that season. He does so well, he earns a spot on the All-Star team. He hit 312 with 10 home runs and 28 stolen bases in the first half. Then kind of trailed off in the second half of the season. That second half of the season, he hit only 216 with one home run. But overall, in 1988, Sabo hit 271 with 11 home runs, 40 doubles, and 46 steals. And he won the National League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he won over Mark Grace, who we covered in a previous episode. Sabo got 11 first-place votes, and Mark Grace got 7. I think a lot of Cubs fans believe that Mark Grace should have won the Rookie of the Year that year. And so I asked the question, did Chris Sabo deserve this Rookie of the Year? I believe he did. Both Sabo and Grace were strong offensively in 1988. Grace had a better average, but Sabo had more power and speed. Particularly when you compare them defensively, Grace was okay to below average at an easy position at first base. Sabo excelled, in particularly in 1988, at a difficult position at third base. He led the National League in fielding percentage and double plays and defensively was worth 2.4 wins above replacement. Overall, he was worth 5.1 wins above replacement in 1988. The Reds were just okay, but Sabo was great as a rookie. Seems like the right decision. Moving into 1989, a rough year for the Reds. They finished under 500 and Pete Rose was banned in the month of August. And a rough year for Chris Sabo as he battled injuries and only played in 82 games. And this might also play into that Rookie of the Year argument. While Sabo is battling injuries, fans are watching Mark Grace establish himself, play well for the Cubs, play in the playoffs, and dominate in the playoffs for that Cubs team in 1989. So a little bit of a down year for Sabo, 
1990, a huge year for the Reds, as we discussed in the Eric Davis episode, they brought in Lou Pinella to coach a team that had finished fifth in 1989. And Sabo's back from injury. The team starts strong, 9-0. and And they went wire to wire. They never dropped out of first place. The first 62 games, they went 41-21. and And then they went 500 to close out the season with 91 wins. Chris Sabo ends up making his second All-Star game out of his first three seasons, this time as a starter, and had a great season. Added some more power to his game. He led the Reds with 25 home runs and 38 doubles to go along with 25 steals and a 270 average. And again, David topping the league in fielding percentage at third base. So really an important part of that Reds team especially coming off of an injury and being able to reestablish himself as a, a, a premier third baseman in the National League. A big year for him. And this is a very good Reds team. Barry Larkin in his prime, Eric Davis being healthy for much of the season, as well as a really good pitching staff that included Jack Armstrong, Jose Rijo, Tom Browning, and the Nasty Boys, Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, and Randy Myers. It was a bit unexpected that this 91-win Reds team would beat the Pirates in six games in the NLCS to make the World Series against the the heavily favored Oakland A's. This is the dominant Oakland A's team. We discussed this so long ago back in the Eric Davis episode, this World Series. The Reds sweep the World Series, and there's unexpected stars of the show, including Billy Hatcher, who hit 750 in that World Series, but also Chris Sabo. In game one, he drives in two in a Reds seven to nothing win. In game two, he goes three for five, a game that the Reds won in extra innings. And then game three is really the Chris Sabo show. Two home runs, the first one in the second inning to go up one nothing, the second in the fifth inning to put the Reds up for good in that game. And then game four for the sweep, he goes three for four. For the series, he ends up hitting 583 with nine hits and 16 at bats. Just pretty insane. This is just domination. Two home runs and five RBIs plus two walks. There's also some really good defensive highlights in that where he's playing solid defense, some hard hit balls to third base, and just uh, always hustling. Earned himself a spot on the cover of Sports Illustrated after the World Series win. So just like with Benito Santiago, I think the making the SI cover for a baseball player just a big thing to do. He became a legitimate star. And David, this was also the same season with this World Series win that the Reds released another pop culture gem. And that is their rap called Reds Hot, which we're going to have to discuss right here. In fact, we'll play Let's play a portion right here. Story by the baseball team on top of the game, and it's not a dream. From fifth to first, the pennant we have won. Now I present the champion. I'm B-Lark. I'm here with the rest of my crew. Boogie East plus McKenzie, the nasty boy too. Coming to you live just to bust the crew. This song is called either Red Hot or Red's Hot. <laughs> That's what you think it is. No way. No way. That's what the SB Nation Red Reporter, a serious okay. inquiry into Red's Hot, which is really difficult to say Red's Hot. That's, it's just, it's clumsy. 
the whole thing is clumsy. It's nearly <laughs> a five-minute video. This is in the vein of mesmerized and getting mesmerized. Get mesmerized. But this is much better. This is more along the Super Bowl shuffle line. It's credited to B-Lark and the Homeboys. Yeah, and similar to the Super Bowl shuffle, you've got the team who are obviously in first place getting ready to go into the playoffs. And it's very cocky to have them cutting the video, just like with the Super Bowl shuffle, to make a song that says, we're going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to win the pennant. Because it could very, very easily go off the rails. Yes. And of course, they're doing this for charity. I don't really know how much money they raised for charity with this. (laughs) It couldn't have been much. They got Paul O'Neill to rap. Yeah. Uh, there's they sample Janet Jackson's Nasty Boys and then bring in Norm Charlton wearing a turtleneck and leather jacket <laughs> to rap alongside Rob Dibble. They're not very good at rapping. Is anyone actually good at rapping on this record? Um, I think I think Barry Larkin's kind of good. He was okay. Yes, I thought Billy Hatcher had an interesting voice. It was a little bit high pitched, but they they only gave him one line, which is maybe. Maybe it's probably a reflection a of, yes. He had a kind of high-pitched voice reminiscent of Easy well, e And, of course, you got to get Herm Winningham in there. <laughs> For sure. I like that it has a very positive message. You know, that here's a special message for you. Say no to drugs. Say no to crack. Just hit the books and the ball with the bat, and you can win the World Series of Life. Uh, Matt, you just did... Uh, extemporaneously a better job than Norm Charlton did at rapping. Congratulations. I've had some musical training. But the question is, how's Chris Sabo? Now let's, we should play some Chris Sabo right here. Go Sabo. Go Sabo. Yeah, I don't know. Should I... Should we be impressed by this? There's someone else rapping with him who does not get an introduction, and I don't know who it is. But it's it's Sabo and another player who is wearing a bootleg Bart Simpson t-shirt, which <laughs> is very of its time, very 1990. And they're rapping together, and then Chris Sabo ends by saying, it's me, Spuds McKenzie, which is just, it's so, it's very bad. Yeah, He's not wearing his rec specs, which probably hindered his ability to read the lines. It made it harder to recognize him, too, I must say, in the video. So Overall, this where does this rank in the hierarchy of baseball songs for you? I put it in, like, the C tier. Yeah, it's not, it's not nearly... It's not a great production quality. Mm-hmm. They're all singing in what seems to be somebody's grandma's basement. I mean, I'd say the same recording quality as the Berenguer Boogie. And I am impressed by the sample work. It just really right. doesn't have the the oomph that the Berenguer Boogie has. It yeah. doesn't have that, that special quality that the Berenguer Boogie has. But it is much better than Metzmerized. Much better than Metzmerized. Well, you know, the Berenguer Boogie also had a melody to it. <laughs> and I think that is the thing that Red's Hot needs <clears throat> You know, because the chorus is just, you know, we're the Reds, red hot. We're the Reds, red hot. There's no hook. We need a hook in there. On the brighter side of 1990 festivities, the Cincinnati Parade and Celebration 
This is part of the reason why I said, yeah, let's talk about Chris Sabo. I think that's this is the first video that I texted you. Do you want to describe Chris Sabo's look yeah, at, this, at this celebration? Yeah, I need to pull up this video real quick here, David. What you've got here is, you know, you've got the parade in Cincinnati. It's raining, but there's tons of people. They're very excited. And then Chris Sabo comes out, and he looks like he's maybe like 15 years old. He's got that flat top cut that he always does. He's wearing what looks like, you know, a varsity letter jacket, you know, for for Central, right? You know, there's a C on there for the Reds, but it could just be for Detroit Central. And he's got the, the pleated acid-washed jeans, which is just a... Yeah, those are Bugle Boy. I think those are Bugle Boy jeans that he's wearing. I'd like to thank everybody because you guys are pretty good. And uh, I'd just like to say that no one gave us a chance. We kicked their ass in four straight, and that's all I got to say. And um, all I think, we kept our mouths shut. We just went out there and proved it on the field. They can talk all they want, but but they're going to sit home all winter, and they know they don't got nothing because we got the ring, and we got the money, and we got everything. Thank you. He is clearly not a public speaker, and this is great. I love this speech because he has this very high-pitched voice. He's not super comfortable. It's not like he's drunk. He just is kind of, he's super excited and uh, sincere. That's great. And he's, he's right. You know, as World Series champions, they each get $112,000 he was on a salary of only two hundred thousand, so an extra hundred and twelve thousand. That's more than a lifetime supply of Ford Escorts, as we've previously established. So he solidifies himself in the the pantheon of Reds greats with that World Series win in nineteen ninety, and that speech, and that song, huge year for him. Nineteen ninety one, he earns a big payday thanks to that. He's up over a million dollars. And unfortunately, the Reds dropped back to fifth place in the NL West. But Sabo had the best season of his career. Yeah, career highs in batting average, home runs, RBIs, hits, and games played. I mean, a 301 average in 26 homers, it's just a really good season. He makes his third and final All-Star game, again, as a starter. And I just seeing this, I'm a little surprised, David. He took part in the home run derby. Unfortunately, he hit zero home runs. Oh, no. And he's not your typical power hitter. I, I wanted to see how he did in the All-Star games. And every time I would pull up the All-Star game box score, I think he went 0 for 2 in every All-Star game he, oh. he had. And then, so I was like, oh, well, maybe he did something in the home run derby. No, he hit zero home runs. So that's sad. That's sad. That's sad. Well, 1992, also sad. Another injury-shortened season. Only played in 96 games. Nothing else really of note. 1993, he plays the full season, but not as effective, hitting only 259 with 21 home runs. The injuries really knocked down his speed, and that seemed to make a big difference. His knees were bad by this point and he was unable to to run as fast and just not not as particularly spectacular defensively as earlier in his career he's still pretty good but he's earning over three million dollars a year at this point and the reds grant him free agency after that season 1994 of course is the strike year so he plays with the orioles 
uh, for that half of that season, hitting 256 with 11 homers in 68 games. And now we get to 1995. And David, this is where we get to test your memory about how many games did Chris Sabo actually play for the White Sox? If you had asked me this before we started this podcast, my memory tells me that Chris Sabo was a White Sox player for, I don't know, two, three seasons in the mid-90s. And then I look at baseball reference. He played 20 games for the White Sox. (laughs) I must have watched every single one of those games because I have this memory of like, oh, Chris Sabo, White Sox regular. 20 games. He signed as a free agent in April and is released in June of 1995. (laughs) And he signs with the Cardinals, plays only five games. So by this point, 1995, you have a 32-year-old Chris Sabo. He's hoping for... A rejuvenation of his career, returning to the Reds in 1996. He didn't have a great time in 1996. No, had a a bit of an incident in July of that year. When I posted something on Facebook about Chris Sabo's birthday, and somebody just wrote, cheater. I was like, I remember some things about Chris Sabo, but I don't remember... Like, was, was he on steroids? Like, what? It says so much about Facebook. Oh, totally. Yeah. As, you know, as great an interaction as you might have with Rance Mullinix, somebody else is going to get out there and call Chris Sabo a cheater, and you're going to be totally confused because you, you missed this game in 1996 where Chris Sabo is playing with an already cracked bat. So he, he must have fouled a pitch off. Bat's a little bit cracked. The, I think the commentators in this video that we'll post are commenting that, like, yeah, bat looks a little bit messed up. Next pitch, the bat just splits clear in half. The umpire goes out to pick it up and sees that there's a, a line of cork in the middle of the bat. <laughs> but Sabo oh, didn't, man. He didn't act guilty. So he runs to first base, legs it out, goes back to the bench. You would think if a guy knew that his bat was corked, he might look concerned. It was puzzling, because if he knew it was corked, and it's already broken, why wouldn't he just trade out his bat before that pitch? He maintains that he never corked a bat in his life. He said afterwards, I can't even change a light bulb. Good Chris Sabo quotes. And he said that the bat belonged to another player, but he would not name who that other player was. You know, somebody else's bat. I don't know who it was. Yeah, and he finished he he finished the season 256 with three home runs and so it doesn't really as he said it's hardly a good endorsement for the cork industry if it was supposed to be giving him all sorts of advantage at the plate. But yeah, it is a little suspicious. It's suspicious and also I don't know. I guess this now is two of three episodes where we don't particularly care too much about cheaters. And I, I think I'll point out, we kind of called for if if anybody really cared about Benito Santiago's performance-enhancing drug usage. While I posted this Chris Sabo thing on his birthday one year, and immediately somebody called him a cheater, not a single person said anything about Benito Santiago's admission of performance-enhancing drugs. So it does, I guess it all just depends on what your specific memory is. But... It's it's just interesting the the way that people get up in arms about cheating and specific kinds of cheating. Here you have a guy in his last season on his way out, and he got caught, and he was suspended for seven games for a corked bat. Like he said, it clearly didn't help him that much. 
He ends up retiring at the end of that year at the age of 34. So closing the book on his career, nine seasons in the majors, he hit 268 with 116 home runs and 426 RBIs in 911 games. He led the National League in fielding percentage twice, played in three all-star games, although he didn't get a hit in any of them. Uh, National League Rookie of the Year and World Series ring with a great performance in that World Series. So pretty good. How about in retirement? He lived in Florida with his wife and three kids. One of his daughters, Annie, works in broadcasting. She was formerly with the Bally Sports North Network covering Minnesota sports and now is with the Big Ten Network. I was surprised by this, knowing what we know about Chris Sabo, reading about him and, and his background. Um he went to law school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in 2009, he went to law school at Northern Kentucky University. And his description of it, I'm going to make an admission here, is kind of similar to how I decided to go to law school, which was you go, I wonder if I could get into law school. And then all of a sudden you're a lawyer. He said, to tell you the truth, I never thought about law school my entire life. I think everyone around the house was getting sick of having me around, so they suggested I go to law school. He said, you had to take that test and everything. I didn't figure there was any way I could pass that thing. I didn't even study too much for it. And then he got into Northern Kentucky University to go to... um, You know, so he, he took the LSAT, and I did good enough to get into law school. And that's, you know, that's how some of us end up as as lawyers. He said he took some classes, but he didn't graduate, saying he, quote, had no desire to be a lawyer. I just sort of did it for fun. I would not recommend that. <laughs> it's a very expensive way to have fun. And if you're as frugal as Chris Sabo is, maybe you could spend your money on Ford Escorts and not on going to law school for fun. Early in his retirement, he was an, a talent evaluator and hitting coach in the Reds minor league system. He then went on to coach at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida for four years, which is one of the, you know, they collect players nationally and it's a nationally renowned soccer academy. It's also a nationally renowned baseball academy. A number of his players were drafted into the pros. He coached there for four years and then was hired on to coach the Akron Zips, the University of Akron, Ohio. And you can check out his current hair on the website. <laughs> it is still going strong, still very high, very high flat top. And this is kind of interesting. When I saw his coaching record, his first season, he went 1-12 in 2020. Mm. I kind of thought, like, well, what's going on? Why didn't he get fired? This baseball team was eliminated in 2015 in budget cuts. So when they decided to bring the team back in 2019, Sabo had to entirely reestablish and rebuild this team from scratch. So he struggled in 2020. They go 1-12. Much better in 2021. They went 15-36. and 36. But it just seems like a, a kind of neat opportunity for Sabo to rebuild this program. He clearly has a good record of evaluating talent and evaluating young players and bringing young players along. So... Seems like it's it's getting better there for him. So now after looking into his story, David, what do you think of Chris Sabo? This is someone who is still beloved among Reds fans, was named to the Reds Hall of Fame in 2010. And as you said, this is a card that meant a lot to you when it first came out and someone you identified with. What do you think now after looking into him? Chris Sabo was easily recognizable from his card with the goggles, with the hustle. 
And when asked about being a role model, Chris said, I don't understand it. It's embarrassing sometimes. Why would anybody want to be like me? I'm a goofball. And I find him endearing. I appreciate his attitude. I appreciate where he's at currently. He seems really happy to talk to people about his career, happy to talk to people about what he's done and his background. And he just seems genuinely very nice. And he also was a hardworking player. And sometimes on here we talk about guys who are otherworldly in their talents. And here we have a guy who it took five years to make it in the major leagues, and it took somebody else getting hurt for him to get his chance. And when he got that chance, he took it and he ran with it, and he was going to run through a wall to keep that opportunity. And that's exactly why I liked Chris Sabo as a kid. We opened this podcast by talking about Eric Davis, who was my favorite player as a kid. But I never really thought like I could actually be Eric Davis because he was so graceful and so fast and so athletic. I could maybe, maybe be like Chris Sabo. He wasn't otherworldly. He wasn't a, a god on earth, <laughs> as we sometimes see with some of these guys. He was, of course, athletic. But, I mean, I could wear glasses and try really hard and dive for ground balls at third and run as hard as I could, even if I wasn't that fast, but run as hard as I could. And so to me, as a little kid, the Chris Sabos and Lenny Dykstras as players, not as people, well, <laughs> in Lenny Dykstra's case, were always guys that I identified with as hardworking at, at, and at least something that you could aspire to. Uh, if, if your athletic talents maybe couldn't get you to that, to that highest, highest level, at least maybe your, your work rate could. And so I... Unlike Lenny Dykstra, Chris Sabo, in reading more about him, I like him even more and, and find him to be a very charming guy and a very, seems like a very, a good dude and somebody that I appreciate even more having looked at him. And I will also remember him as a White Sox legend for those 20 games in 1995. Fantastic. Well, he certainly is that and, and a great story. So thank you, David. Thank you to Tim for the suggestion. Keep them coming. You can submit your request to us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1988topspodcast. And also, if you are Grandmaster Raps or Kid Shazam, a rip-rop, rippity-doo, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>